Welcome to another Deep Blue special on BYU TV. Our objective is clear and simple to tell the stories beyond the stat lines from some of your favorite BYU athletes. Today we'll zoom in on BYU basketball specifically, beginning with All-American guard Alex Barcelo, a guy who transferred from heralded Arizona to BYU in hopes of showcasing his talent, leadership skills, and maybe most importantly, rediscovering his love of the game. This is Deep Blue with Alex Barcelo. I was at work that day when you called me, and I always get excited when I see one of my children calling, and I answer, but I heard your voice, and as your mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't say that to you, but I felt it. I'm like, you're like, I need to talk to you, and I'm like, okay, I'll be home. He was super broken. His experience at his former school was really, really difficult. He kind of lost some of his love of the game spent a lot of time questioning his own ability and his own skill and his own future and it left him on really uncertain waters he was just like he just got out of bed you know normally he's all you know together and that's like not my son like i and, and broken and um, scared the end of my sophomore season i mean i just came to the conclusion that if i still wanted to follow my dreams I mean, my girlfriend Zoe, she told me, she's like, you got to get a bigger opportunity and you got to go somewhere that's going to love and care about you as a person and as a a basketball player and really look at you for who you are and what you can contribute to the game out there. And I mean, it it was a rough summer for me. I'm not going to lie. It was a rough summer, kind of like a roller coaster, ups and downs. We had kind of all got together and we were writing pros and cons between BYU and Butler, like my, my final decisions. You know, I was writing down all the pros, and then I got to the cons section, and I kind of turned to Zoe, turned to you guys, and I was like, I can't think of a con. I I, I don't. (laughs) And then my next thought was, does this mean I should call him? Like, should I call? Should I call Coach Pope and commit? And and that's exactly what I did. You guys were all like, yeah, call him right now. Call him right now, everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just remember it so vividly how happy you guys were for me and uh and how happy you were yeah (laughs) belief is everything like when you have people that you know can stand for you and have your back through thick and thin uh no matter what you're going through like it, it speaks tremendously and i think that's what i had when i came here if somebody believes in you you would run through walls for that person you just needed them to believe in you God always has a plan. Never in a million years would I have expected to be here at BYU, but, you know, I'm here and I'm loving it. I've loved every step of the way through thick and thin. Like, I'll go to war for this team. I'll go to war for Coach Pope just because of the belief that he has in me. He is the undisputed leader of this team, and he works at it every single day. He is oozing with swag and confidence every single day. He knows who he is and he knows what he can do in no uncertain terms. It's amazing to see the growth that he's made with his voice, with his challenging of his teammates, with with his demanding of his teammates. He thinks about how can I help the individuals on this team every single day. He is a born leader that is now a work in progress of rebirth as a leader and it makes your job as a head coach so easy when you have guys that care about leading a team that much. Hey, hard work, baby. That's what you've been 
Let's go, man. The bounce back. It's real. Coach Pope fixed my son. He was so broken. It was so devastating as a mom to see her son come before her like that. And everything he did, every step he took, all the words he spoke, all the actions he took, bringing him into a safe spot around a wonderful community, a wonderful university, wonderful teammates, and leading that uh, was amazing. And I will never, ever be able to thank him enough because he saved my child. And you're laughing and you're smiling (laughs) (laughs) and you're joyful again. And that's huge for a mom. I have this circle around me that is just so phenomenal to me and and believes so much in me that, like, I want to achieve everything that I'm setting out to achieve for myself, but for them as well. And to kind of show them almost like a thank you, like, thank you for, you know, believing in me so much. Like, it it wouldn't have been possible without you to, to continue on this path. The smile from Alex Barcelo says it all. And isn't it interesting how that invitation from head coach Mark Pope changed Barcelo's life path forever. That's not the only invitation we will focus on today. This next one, not so much to a player, but rather to an assistant coach. Mark Pope sought out Nick Robinson, who hit one of the biggest shots in Stanford basketball history and is now in Provo leading the Cougars to what they hope is unforgettable success. Growing up around the game of basketball has really shaped who I am. It's competitive, it's exciting, it's fast-paced. I love basketball because uh, of the camaraderie, the teammates, of the team aspect. And I love uh, basketball because it's taken me around the world. It's taken me to tremendous places, uh, both as a player, as a teammate, as a coach. And I've been really, really fortunate to have that round ball in my life. I grew up in a town close to Winchester, which is in Hampshire County. Nick's family lived in Romsey, which was a neighboring town. My dad played professional basketball in Europe. Uh, So after being born here in Salt Lake City, we moved to Belgium and France and then lived in England uh, for about five years. That's how we first got to meet each other around the age of seven, eight. My husband got back from his mission in Brazil in August 2000. I think we secretly both knew there was something here. We didn't know what it was. We didn't want to communicate that. So when he got back from his mission, this sort of getting married thing and that conversation even coming up was just, it was all a whirlwind. We just decided, okay, I think the only time we could logistically get married would be like in September, right before I head out to Stanford. And as bizarre as that sounds to many, many people, it was really the only thing that felt right and felt good. And we said to each other, is our feelings for each other going to change right in the next year? Probably not. And so if we want to do this, let's just, let's just do this. You know, since that time, we've grown together in our marriage and we've been very fortunate uh, to have four beautiful children. Oh, 
I've known of him, you know, the last 20 years when his time playing at Stanford and him hitting uh, one of the biggest game-winning shots in Pac-10 history, his game-winner uh, against University of Arizona. The ball flies loose, uh, it comes into my hands, and I take two dribbles while looking at the clock and let it go. There was just something about that environment that was breathtaking. I mean, the year itself was amazing. I mean, they'd had such a phenomenal year, and then just to play this competitive game against Arizona and to have that shot, you know, to win, to win the game was was just amazing and I I think I thought I was probably going to go into labor <laughs> I would imagine I you know I was heavily pregnant just talking about it I'd still get goosebumps but there was a, it was a great feeling when Nick was coaching at SUU um, I think something took place getting more enthusiastic than usual using his voice more and at one point uh his voice started breaking and started you know like feeling a little raspy and we just noticed that something was uh, not quite right uh, my voice at that point in time uh, was very very limited and so after the voice procedure a few months later things got better had another vocal cord procedure things got better but once we've realized, okay, this is this is the voice. It might be a little bit softer than than others, but I can hear him. I can hear him. I think most people can. You know, there's some people out there that just they like to talk a lot, right? And so you're not sure exactly what's being said or what the point is. With Coach Robinson, it's very deliberate, and you know exactly what uh, what the message is as soon as he's done talking. Guys, at times have to be quiet. It's there's something impactful about in important moments using a little bit of a softer voice. Guys almost hear it more clearly. Every interaction I've had with him has been 100% positive. And he's pushing me in practice, and he's helping me learn. Like, he, he really has been special to me. Before every practice, he tries to give every player on the team a high five. I think it's his way of showing that he just he cares about the guys and that he's excited to be uh, practicing and getting better with us. Every single day, every single minute he's on the court, every single minute in his office, he's got an intensity about him that, that spreads throughout the entire program. This Deep Blue special continues from Studio B with an emphasis on BYU basketball and big dreams. Big being the operative word here as head coach Mark Pope set his sights on one of the biggest basketball players to ever play in Provo, Utah. Matt Harms, highly sought-after transfer from the University of Purdue and a Netherlands native, came to BYU amidst a global pandemic. You can understand why he might have been hesitant, maybe a little bit fearful, but this is the story of how Harms ended up playing in the Marriott Center. Born and raised in Amsterdam. Two amazing parents, Peter and Martina. My home life was absolutely awesome. I love both my parents so much. You know, they're the most important people in the world to me. He was a calm kid, but really passionate about things. He was 12, and there was a tournament for schools. So his gym teacher said, sorry, you're not in the team. And then a neighbor of me, uh, who was on a basketball club, said, ah, let's Matt join us. And he stepped on the court and he loved it. And ever since he loved basketball. So it was great to see him running like a Bambi over, over the field. He really loved basketball. When I was younger, especially like between like 12 and 16, 17 is something I, I really struggled with. I was scared of a lot of things in ways that you really shouldn't be. 
by the time I was 15, I was still sleeping with the lights on. And if the lights in my room weren't on, there was a light on in the hallway with the door open. It was just fear of a lot of things, a fear of everything almost. I was scared of the world, basically. He was a really smart kid. So at first we didn't notice it, that he was afraid of the dark. So he was very smart, talking around it, very cautious, prudent, reluctant to do, uh, to, to, to do some things. And it was holding him back. My parents were extremely supportive of me. You know, they never just dismissed me uh, as like, oh, this is stupid, you just need to get over it. They were there for me. And they were like, hey, we're going to help you through this. We're going to find ways to help this. It was a school trip. So it was with, with school that had a basketball team. We had the opportunity to go and go to Spain for like, I think it was five days and just kind of practice with their, with the team there, which was Joventut de Barcelona. I was just really excited for it because I thought it was going to be just a fun experience, go to Spain for a week, you know, with, with people from school. After two days, he called, Mom, Dad, you want me to stay here and to come and play here at Joventut de Barcelona? We said, okay. And because we knew, maybe we thought, oh, he will be a little bit reluctant. Maybe he goes for one year or two years, but... He, he really wanted to go. When I made the decision to go to Spain, I was still, you know, I'd gotten over some of those fears, but I was still a very shy kid. At that moment, uh, his ambition won over his fear. So this is Maddie, my girlfriend. Uh, we've been together for almost three years at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, we met when we were both at Purdue together. Arms dunks it all! I think that Matt is really unique in that he's really not afraid to move anywhere. He's willing to take those risks, and he's not afraid of going somewhere else and trying new places. He's just a guy that loves to play basketball. Here he is. We see him defending the pick and roll. Doesn't give up on the play. And he loves it. <laughs> he is hyped. I love it. Recruiting Matt Harms was the odyssey of odysseys. He was recruited by every program in the country. He came down in the final three of University of Kentucky, Texas Tech, both recent Final Four teams, and BYU. He didn't have any familiarity with BYU basketball other than watching the great work that the players did last year. Seemed like this far-fetched dream that was just kind of wasting our time in terms of reaching out to him. And after the first week of him getting really excited and him learning more about us and us learning more about him, it kind of turned into this, we got a shot. It kind of, like, this dream became sort of this reality of, like, we got a shot to land, you know, one of the best transfers in college basketball, who, by the way, happens to stand seven foot three. We were trying to think of anything and everything that we could possibly do to reach him, and just hanging on by a thread. I brought my two girls here to the Marriott Center, and we had the crew put up Happy Birthday written in Dutch. And so we FaceTimed Matt, just a quick hitter, and we're like, Matt, you know, this is a day, 24, 48 hours away from him making a decision. And we're like, Matt, we're having a debate right now about which of us can speak Dutch the best. I'm going to look at it back as like a cherished memory, but in the end, it just came down to everything just fit. Everything worked. Like, when I came down to it, it was like pros and cons, and I had everything listed out, and I had an Excel spreadsheet with all the options and all the goods and bads and all the location, whatever. And then I just was like, hey, how do I feel about it? Like, how do I really, truly feel about these places that I wanted to go? And I just said, I can't miss out on BYU. And at the end, he chooses with his heart. He chose with his heart for, for Coach Pope. And, and the coaching staff for BYU. BYU basketball 
does sign Matt Harms, seven feet, three inches out of the Netherlands. Here is a tenured guy from Purdue that has gone on deep NCAA tournament runs, including the Elite Eight just two years ago. When they talk about BYU's a couple years down the road, five years down the road, when it's risen back to prominence in the way it should be. I want people to say, like, okay, we had that first huge class of seniors that first year, and then that second year, we had a core of transfers. We had our three seniors. We had Alex Barcelo, Brandon Averett, and Matt Harms came through here, and they showed that, we were, that BYU was there to stay. That's what my hope is for this year. Hey, Matt, here's a boodschap from your father, jongen. You've been bijna six years on pad om een geweldige profbasketballer te worden. En ik ben zo ontzettend trots op alles wat je daar al hebt gedaan. Dit kan alleen nog maar een succes worden. Dag lieve Matt, ik ben trots op je en ik hou van je. Dag jongen. Matt Harms only spent one season in Provo, but it made a lasting impact on his life. In fact, he still recruits actively for Mark Pope and BYU basketball. That should also make our next feature story and assistant coach very happy, Cody Fieger, who spends a lot of his time recruiting high-level talent. But how Cody Fieger became an assistant basketball coach at BYU is quite the winding story that included a start as a team manager with longtime rival and legendary coach Rick Majerus. This is Deep Blue. I was the guy that's done every single job that there has been. I've done tickets, I've done travel, I've done every single part of college basketball. And then I've just kind of built myself up from there. You know, he worked under Rick Majerus, and anybody that knows Coach Majerus knows how demanding that position is. And he did it as a manager. From the first day I met him, you you could see how hard of a worker he was to become a coach. Of all the qualities that Cody has, his integrity is, is beyond reproach. He's all in. That guy puts his heart and soul into coaching and making the team just a better program. He cares about the players. If you ask any any of the players on the team, they know how much that he loves them and cares for them and spends time for them. He can get on them. He can joke with them. He can challenge them. He can push them. And they trust him and they like being around him. I can tell he actually cares about you as a as a person and he'll sit down and just talk to you. I mean, he won't even be about basketball sometimes. He just wants to see how you're doing. And stuff like that really just shows that, okay, it's bigger than basketball. I mean, they don't really care about me just because I can help them win games. Like, they care about me as, as a person. And Coach Figure is a perfect example of that. He knows what each guy needs, and he is able to get that out of each of those players. He's able to know what to do in order for that player to respond and execute the way that he believes that player can can play. You know, I told her my goal was to be a college coach at the end of the day and, you know, that we'd be traveling a ton and it would be hard on family sometimes just with how much I'd be gone. And, and I'm going to break here and say that no, he did not warn me <laughs> of any of these things. I was very I new to, to the sports world, and I had no idea what I was getting into. I did know a little bit because he was gone all the time, but I really enjoyed spending time with him, and I got to hear about his passion, and he had such a passion for basketball right from the get-go, and a passion for all the players and the coaches and the things he was learning, and he made really good friendships and relationships right away. So. It was really fun to see. 
whenever you talk about Coach Fieger, you got to start with his wife, Danielle, who is so extraordinary and really keeps him in check. Cody walks through the halls of the Marriott Center and the Annex and has all this respect from everybody. But I think he goes home and Danielle puts him in his place, which is really a gift. And then his children, Izzy and Drew and, and Anna, uh, his newborn, they spend a lot of time in and out of the office and they're fantastic. And the way that his family has been a part of this program is really exciting. Anna was supposed to be born in early November. I was taking a recruiting trip, thought no big deal of it. We were going to be back because usually every time she's had a baby, it's been normally like right around the date or right after. The recruiting trip was October 23rd and uh, left early in the morning. I turn on my phone and then I get a text from Danielle saying, hey, just a heads up, I'm going to the hospital right now. Obviously, my panic starts to set in. It was all happening in the middle of the night, and I have the two other kids at home, so I was lucky that I have a friend who lived close by who was willing to come help. And then I get on my second flight from New York to Salt Lake, and I'm just, you know, hoping the whole time everything's fine and nothing's going to happen until I got there. (laughs) I was about 30 minutes after Anna was born, and so Danielle was great with it. To me, I'm sure she has other insight for you, but she's a trooper. She's tough as nails. (laughs) It's all very unknown territory for me. So I just, I want him to be happy and I want him to reach his goals and I'll help him however I can to get there. (laughs) My goal is to be a head coach in college, going to camps as a young kid and then you know, starting out with Coach Majerus at Utah, just the wins or losses or the relationships with players, competition, being with the team, all that stuff. It's something that, you know, I lo- really look forward to, and I love the game of basketball. I can guarantee you Cody Feger is absolutely stoked about our next story, Gideon George. Coming up after the break, meet the young man who is now a hero to so many kids in Africa. Plus, Gavin Baxter has overcome his fair share of adversity, overcoming multiple season-ending injuries. Why he now feels like he's a better basketball player and man because of that. This is Deep Blue. Welcome back to our Deep Blue special, focusing in on the hardwood stories of BYU basketball. And you don't want to miss what we're about to show you. Gideon George hails from Africa. And here's a young man that was just happy to have the opportunity to even play basketball somewhere safely. For that matter, even have shoes on his feet. With that backdrop, we focus in on how he has become a hero to so many kids in Africa and how he's paying it forward while he plays basketball at BYU. This is Deep Blue. Gideon comes from a place with no power, no running water. He's got those big shoulders because he carried 10-gallon buckets of water to the well every week. He slept outside most of the time because it was too hot in the house. He's probably had malaria more times than he can count. His breakthrough moment, he heard that there was this kind of basketball tryout. He had to get on a bus and try, and it's not like a bus like we know. First day of the camp happens, and, and, you know, he definitely stands out as just a great kid. The second day, still really good, but kind of tired. 
it's 100 degrees out, and these kids are playing, you know, six hours on a broken concrete court with busted rims. Come to find out, some of the people that were on the ground that were supposed to be helping us from O'Weary had charged the kids to play in the camp and hadn't told anybody. And so they took all of the money that Gideon and his friends and some other people that had come to this camp that they were supposed to use for staying somewhere and eating. His ability to get through something like that, to continue to show up and, and you know, give 100% and never complained, right? We found out about it because of somebody else, not him. None of the other kids said a word. They were just grateful for the opportunity to be there, even if that meant sleeping outside, being chased by the police and not eating for days. He doesn't allow like his situation to find him. No matter what he finds himself, he just keeps walking. He's an individual um, that understands what he wants. He showed out at the camp and was the number one player in the camp. When we kind of figured out that, you know, okay, this is, there, there's potential here for, for this kid to go to college, um, you know, he'd been denied a visa five or six times already. And it does cost a lot of money to get these interviews. So I think it costs close to about four, five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars is a lot of money in America compared to Nigeria. His father probably makes about a hundred dollars a month. So just imagine, so it's like a four, five month salary just to get an interview. Anytime I want to quit, I don't know what's inside me that keep pushing me to like keep going because I believe that I think there's something out there better for me than in Nigeria. So that's why I keep applying. I just have the faith that one day I'm going to get a visa and I'm going to share my story out there to encourage people to see, to keep pushing and not never to give up. You know, a kid with no organized basketball experience for the most part that grew up playing on a dirt court with a plywood backboard and basketballs with no grips and a lot of times no shoes. Showed up at New Mexico Junior College and won freshman of the year and arguably the hardest league in all of junior college basketball. And I, I think people are seeing at BYU now that coming out in him. officially like to present this crown for king of the glass this morning to our good friend Gideon George. Let's go! Character, his personality, his work ethic, his skill, right? All these things that, like, he's got more ability in his little finger than most people have in their whole body. And, and not even just basketball ability, but ability to overcome and adapt and things like that. So when I get to America, I went to one of my teammates' room back there in New Mexico at the dorms. He looked in the trash and saw a pair of shoes and was like, what, 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 what is happening? You're throwing those away? And he was like, yeah, they're a little worn out. And sometimes if you get sore, if I wear them, he's like, can I have them? I just thank God because of his grace and his mercy towards us and his love. And my parents are like hardworking. They always do their best to provide for us like all the time. So that's it, man. Growing up, it wasn't that easy. And so from that day, Gideon started collecting all the shoes to send back to his home country. And then as you dig in the story more, those were the shoes that he was wearing growing up. He was getting shoes from the same organization that were being shipped from the United States to Africa. And they enabled him to actually go on a court and, and play the way he learned how to play. Gideon was able to benefit from Time Out for Africa and the fact that he's made it to the United States, he feels like he has to give back. Shoes that I didn't wear or 
any any of his teammates, women's basketball, track, cross country. I mean, they literally, he just started asking and asking. You know, we had a game to where you get in free if you bring your shoes. He's still figuring out which end is up when he's, you know, suddenly thrust into this college environment in, in America and he's thinking of everybody else back home that doesn't have the same opportunity. And so we think about you know, a shoe drive is like, oh, that's great. These kids have shoes. But what we don't think about is that the highest transmission of disease in Africa is through their feet because they don't have proper shoes. And so it's more than I have shoes to wear to school. I have shoes to wear to church. I have shoes to wear on a basketball court. It's actually protecting the health and livelihoods of those people over there. And when he hit the ground in New Mexico, that was one of the first things that came to mind, not great, I'm in America, I have all these resources, look at all the things that are available to me now. He looked at it from the standpoint of, look at all the resources that are available for me to help somebody else. So the fact that, you know, he's benefited from us, now we're benefiting from him. Because the program is getting, you know, a lot more, you know, known in the area just because of these donations. Encourages the kids to play more and be successful. So that's definitely making an impact. That's someone that gets it, right? That's someone that gets that things are bigger than him. And whether he never makes another basket again doesn't matter, right? It's Gideon George is going to have an impact on this planet because of who he is, not because of who he is as a basketball player. And that's special. And, and that's something that, you know, has definitely changed me. And he changes everybody else that he interacts with. Gideon and his brother Samson have partnered with the Time Out for Africa organization to send more than 100 pairs of shoes to needy kids in Africa. Just an incredible story and many more to come. Up next on Deep Blue, we take a look at Gavin Baxter, who has overcome his fair share of adversity to the tune of two season-ending injuries. First, it was a shoulder, then it was an ACL two games into his junior season. You know what? He's back and ready to give it even more on Deep Blue after this. Our Deep Blue basketball special continues from Studio B with a look at Caleb Lohner. Six feet, eight inches, could probably play a Greek god for most Hollywood producers. And he brings a flair, passion, and energy to the floor for BYU basketball. Yeah, he likes to have a good time, and that's on display in our next story. Christmas morning for you guys, I kid you not. Super active, independent, stubborn kid. <laughs> Caleb Lohner is this six foot, eight and a half, 235 pound specimen. I think anything where he feels like he can get a little bit of a thrill, he's game for it. <laughs> and he'll get just kind of migrate to it. I don't know who he is. Body of a Greek guy that looks like it was just chiseled, right? He's like a surfer dude. But he's like the hardest worker and most diligent guy I've had in the gym. He's like this incredibly honest, self-introspective young man that is like the quickest dude to laugh and joke and smile. He's like the swaggiest dude ever. I would describe my sense of fashion as very spontaneous. I think fashion kind of helps separate you and... Um, certain situations and I think being a basketball player it's cool to kind of have your own swag so that's been fun 
He'll get up in the morning, he'll train, and he'll, tra he'll train as much as anyone, he probably does. And he'll work as hard as anybody, but then he'll also go have a great time. I saw a video of him recently where his buddy was driving a dirt bike, and so he laid his body down behind the jump, and he had to jump over. I'm like, what are we doing? Coming from Texas, I was going to a public school, really big public school, and there just started to become this question of whether I really liked playing basketball. And I think it was this mental battle that kind of came across throughout all these different other trials and things that were going on in my life. And I just started to lose focus of what was really important to me. And I don't know if it was just all the pressure that was getting to him. Plus, just he was so committed for so long and doing it so often, right? I think it warned him. I think he got tired. And the more I kind of figured out what that was, the more I realized that I needed a change. So I decided to go to Wasatch Academy um, to kind of start fresh, start new. And after being at Wasatch, I just kind of had this new spark, this being around new guys, playing at a higher level of basketball. This, we were a really good team. Um, it kind of brought back some of that like emotion of the love of the game that I have. And so the more I played, the more we went through that year, I just, it was back. Like it just kind of clicked. I don't know when and where, but one day I woke up and like all of my love was back. And I knew, hey, this is something I want to do. Sometimes when you hear of somebody that's like, I don't know, how much do I love basketball? How much do I want to play basketball? Do you wonder if they're really committed? And he's the exact opposite. Like, he stays on this floor with Coach Burgess for at least a half an hour after every single practice. During the whole summer, you know, I had to roll back. Sometimes in the office really later, I got to roll back at 11 or midnight to grab something or do something because something's driving me crazy. And there's Caleb Lohner in the gym by himself getting up shots. Lohner on the steal. Out ahead of everybody. Purple baby. My goodness. That's what we've been waiting for. My goal here is to challenge myself academically on the basketball court and then really just to work as hard as I can and help this BYU basketball team win games. Coach Pope says this all the time. He says what you give in to the team will come back like full fold. Sometimes when you get a heralded freshman, they think that they know everything or they think that they're better than everyone or Caleb's freshman mind is coach give it to me straight tell me how I can just be on the floor what do I need to do so I think understanding that basketball is more than a game I think to everyone that means something different but for me I think basketball has just taught me so much that nothing else could have taught me and I've already noticed all the things that my life has been blessed with through the game of basketball so why not keep going and trying to get to the next level Tell me Caleb Lohner doesn't look just a little bit like Hercules. Perhaps a conversation for another day. I know that Gavin Baxter enjoys competing against Caleb Lohner. He just wants to stay healthy. He's gone through two season-ending injuries. First, a freak accident in practice on his shoulder, and then he tore his ACL two games into what he expected to be a memorable junior season. But you know what? Rather than giving up, he's fighting back. What he's learned from those two season-ending injuries and how it's changed who he is. This is Deep Blue with Gavin Baxter. 
My name is Gavin Baxter. I am from Provo, Utah. Cannon. We got Gavin. Penetrate, lobs it to Baxter. Baxter finishes the alley-oop. Gavin is a pretty quiet, shy guy at first. Takes a little while to get to know him. He's always been a pretty relaxed kid. Didn't seem like he was overly competitive when he was a kid. He's kind of got more competitive over the years, I think, as the level of the demands of basketball has increased. Great kid. And once you do get him to open up and talk, he's just as crazy as it gets. He's yelling like crazy on the sidelines during games, during practice. But he's another guy who beats to his own drum. One thing that people may not know about Gavin Baxter is he is my personal urban vocabulary lexicon. On the way to media day in Las Vegas, he actually challenged me to use whip and bougie in the same sentence in an interview, which I successfully did. He's taught me about drip and whip. Yes. Yes. You know whip? Yeah, these are all important terms. And bougie. I got instruction on bougie yesterday. See, look at this. The film crew doesn't know what that means. They're like, I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, then who do you think's the bougiest on the team? It's Gav. It's got to be Gav. Gav has, Gav is like, Gav takes you. this seriously. He's having a conversation with Coach. It's for sure Gav. <laughs> yes. My mom has been such a huge person in my life. I think a lot of it goes back to how she grew up and her story. My parents are from the West Indies and they actually emigrated to the UK when they were just having kids and I was born in London. But a few months later we moved up to Glasgow, to Scotland. And that's where I actually grew up my whole life. And probably not the, the greatest of circumstances, she didn't have a lot but she did have a talent for running. I thought that sounded like a fun thing to do. My dad used to be a runner. My uncle ran in the Olympics for Trinidad. And so there was this idea, okay, I'll go and try running, not really thinking much of it. But I actually found out I was pretty good at it. And by high school, I was running on a national level. I came over to BYU and the track coach recruited me to run on BYU's team. He read about me in a magazine and thought that I looked like I'd, I'd fit into the BYU culture and so that's how I got to, to Provo I didn't know anything about America I'd never been to America before I took it as a good opportunity to come over and take my chances and see what happened you know I spent more time in this building than anywhere in this city it really was kind of my second home she's really been an, an example to me of using your talents to not only help yourself and improve your life but others around you your family your friends anybody you come across not being satisfied with where you are, but always pushing yourself, even when things are hard in the face of adversity, just to improve yourself, become a better person, no matter what's happening around you. Every athlete, their biggest fear is getting injured. I went out for a rebound and just got tangled up with one of my teammates and my shoulder got dislocated. It was just kind of a freak thing. He was just going for a rebound. It didn't look any, like anything too serious on film. Just two guys going for a rebound, and he just got twisted the wrong way. Go to get an MRI, and I find out that I tore my labrum. And they're like, okay, so this is going to be four to six months for the entire season. So that, of course, was a huge blow to me because I had spent the entire summer working on my game, getting stronger, faster. And so... This was really tough for me. It's had a huge impact. We had a bunch of things this summer and mostly fall that were going to obviously include him. So we've had to kind of rearrange our offense and how we're going to guard defensively in some ways. It's really hard because he's, he's having to really um, push himself even though he actually can't get to play the games. And usually during season, that's your motivation. You're like, okay, I've got a game this weekend. I've got to get my shot. I've got to do this. So he doesn't have the same feedback 
on a weekly basis at the players who are actually playing in the game. So I think that's that's tough. You have to be even a little more mentally tough to push yourself when the immediate reward is not there. You're looking long term. You're saying I'm investing for next season. That's what this sport is about. I mean, that's what sports is about is is you endure the disappointments when they come your way and you build on them and grow and, and, and he'll do that for sure. I'm not able to play right now, but that doesn't mean I should be any less involved or any less of a teammate. And so that's really helped me in my perspective of the game. He's been incredible. It's been awesome having him on the road with us, with our guys, just being around. I think it's made him a better teammate, I would probably say, because he can't help them out there and he has to cheer them from the sidelines. Gavin Baxter is literally, no exaggeration, one of the elite athletes in all of college basketball. His length, uh, his verticality off the floor, his intensity, his timing around the rim, and catching balls and finishing is, is off the charts. And the only good thing about him being hurt this year is we get him for three more years on the tail end. But he has so much growth potential in his game, it's almost staggering to think about. He's going to be an extraordinary player. Our Deep Blue Basketball special continues with an emphasis on the word blue and BYU basketball assistant coach Chris Burgess, who initially said no to the BYU Blue and opted for the Duke Blue Devils. He had the courage to follow his heart. Then he went to the University of Utah, all before winding up coaching in Provo. Yeah, it's been a journey. This is Deep Blue with Chris Burgess. We all know Coach Burgess was the number one recruited athlete in all of high school basketball. But he's not even the best athlete in his own family. His wife, Lisa, humbles him every single morning at CrossFit. She crushes him. And his daughter, KJ, is one of the top volleyball players in the entire country. And she's still only a sophomore in high school. That keeps Coach Burgess humble. I love basketball. Started at a young age, watching my dad play. I didn't play basketball because I was 6'11". I played basketball because I loved the game. And then I became 6'11". You know, I, I just love the flow of the game, the pace of the game, the energy of the game, and the energy of the crowd. That's why I love this game. I've known who Chris is, like many basketball fans and in the sports world, by nature of his great career playing college basketball, professional basketball. And it started as a high school basketball player when he was being recruited as the number one basketball player in America. Out of high school, my final two schools were Duke and uh, BYU. 1995, 1996, I was working for the Salt Lake Tribune as a college basketball writer. And I knew that Chris Burgess was a highly acclaimed LDS player out of Irvine, California. And I knew that BYU needed to land him. If they didn't land him, it was going to be a big blow. BYU being coached by uh, Roger Reed, and he recruited me really hard and had a great relationship with him and his staff. And uh, ultimately, I chose Duke. So afterward, we were doing interviews with him, and it was me and a, two other reporters. And I waited until those two reporters were done asking Chris all the questions. And then I was right there, and I said, Chris, when you told Roger Reed that you were going to go to Duke, how did it go today? And that's when Chris, to his credit, said the truth that it was very difficult and Roger was upset and Roger said that Chris was going to let down nine million members of the LDS church by choosing Duke. 
For him to be somehow blamed was never the case, and for him to ever be castigated in our home or with with my father as the coach, I mean, he has nothing but love and care and, and great concern for Chris. So it's it was kind of an inter- interesting thing for sure. You have to understand BYU is a recruiting disadvantage. It's hard to get kids to want to go to BYU, particularly if you're not LDS. So one of the selling points that Roger had was the fact that this is your church school. Your church school needs you. Look at all the positive publicity because Chris Burgess was a highly acclaimed high school star. And so Roger's thought, and I can see where he's coming from, is you come here, you're going to do wonders for the basketball program. You're going to do wonders for the LDS church. There's just an enormous amount of subtext that people should understand with Chris and the pressure that was put upon Chris, both internally with his own family and externally with a very passionate fan base at BYU who were hoping to see the number one basketball player in America go there. And I think Roger responded just out of his heart and his competitive spirit. And unfortunately for him, it blew up. Being back here at BYU as an assistant coach, coming full circle, so much good came out of it. Right? There's a lot of closure with the relationships I now have, not just with Coach Reed, but also with his sons. We now joke about kind of what went down back in 1996. There's so much love between their family that that situation that kind of went on doesn't, even, doesn't bother anyone anymore. We're just, we're just happy with how everything came about. When playing the game of basketball or just in life, there's a lot of adversity. Um, you, you can't make everyone happy. Things didn't work out at Duke that I had hoped. Uh, individually, collectively, they were fantastic. You know, got to go to a Final Four. I've really enjoyed uh, recruiting Chris and having him in our program. Uh, obviously, we were disappointed when he left, but we always maintained a relationship. You know, I had a great career there. I met my wife there at the U. You know, and then being cut by the Suns my rookie year, you know, I was able to... Uh, persevere and go play overseas and, and do well and see the world on, a, on another team and another club paying for my family and I to be out there. I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that when we got serious in our relationship and I, I knew that he was going to play in one way or another, I knew that we would be traveling at some point. But I didn't know it was going to be all over the world. Obviously, neither did he. Living overseas for 11 straight years, right, 10 months at a time, you get to see see the world. I mean, I saw places from Istanbul to Dubai and Abu Dhabi to Seoul, Korea. In terms of adversity and pushing through it, I'm glad the way my career turned out because I am where I am today, both professionally here as, a, as an assistant coach at BYU, but also with my family. From the beginning of Chris's career, we kind of made a promise to each other that we would stay together. A lot of players overseas don't do that. You know, the guy goes over and does his thing and the wife just stays, raises the kids at home. It's easier. My wife was seven months pregnant with our third child. And we lived in a small city three hours outside Istanbul where my wife ended up giving birth in a small village. I didn't have any pain medication or any of that stuff. So it was painful and it was crazy after the delivery she had to get a tetanus shot because all the equipment was sterile but it all ended up being okay but i was just so furious that they didn't have a baby scale because i wanted to know how much my baby weighed (laughs) and eventually they brought out a bathroom scale and had me stand on the bathroom scale and then they handed me ava and was like okay ooch kilogram (laughs) so we still don't know exactly how much she weighed but Ooch kilogram, that's how much she weighed. 
Coach Burgess is one of the great uh, up-and-coming coaches in college basketball. He has a great heart and a love of people. You know, that's why he's become such a good family man, and he also has become an outstanding coach. Just somebody that, that, that has a great attitude every day and somebody that you know everyone kind of wants to be around. He's also a really good basketball player still. He can really shoot the ball. He's got a better office than me right now because he made more shots than me. He doesn't forget what it's like to be a player, even as a high schooler. You can ask him what the score was of his, like a random game, and he'll tell you the score and who scored what and this, 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 this. There is not a player in America that will experience anything that Coach Burgess hasn't experienced himself one time or another in his basketball career. And so in that sense, and many others, he's an extraordinary coach, and we're lucky to have him here at BYU. One, two, three. Better late than never for Chris Burgess to eventually make his way back to Provo, Utah, the Marriott Center, and BYU basketball. And what an impact he's having. Our thanks to all of you for hanging out with us over the last hour on this Deep Blue special with an emphasis on BYU basketball. A reminder, you can go to BYUtv.org slash deep blue to find more from your favorite athletes and coaches for now i'm spencer linton from studio b we'll see you next time